Uh, Dustin, can you judge our audio setup as a professional? It's terrible. He knows it's terrible. Hey, oh, shut up. No, this is what? typical. This is like, this is the podcast setup now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand, Jackson, that I am the exception and not the rule. Well, yeah. I, I don't like it, though. That's all yeah. I'm saying. I mean, if you if you had money, if your show made money, yeah, no, for then sure, you, then you could reinvest in it. Yeah. But I think going out and buying a mixing board right now is stupid. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it is. That's very true. Like it's undeniably, it would be very dumb to do that. At um, the same time, like the Puck Bunnies episode that came out today, did you just make that by taking two separate Yeti recordings and try to layer them on top of each other? Oh hell That's yeah! That's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that I, was, that I was can tell. Yeah, I'm that. sure you that could. Was yeah, that, that was, was Audrey, right? That was the one that I had nothing to do with. That was yeah. That Audrey edited that for us, which was very nice. But um, Audrey also told me to not sit close to the mic. Did she? <laughs> no. Oh yeah, I was gonna say no. I was gonna say this is why the rule is Vias has to be the closest one to the mic because the on that recording you heard Justin. Yeah, Vias was the closest one to the microphone. <laughs> what? And I was the furthest away. That's hilarious. Yeah, so yeah. that's why that's a rule, because there's something about Vias's voice that just sounds like he's in a hallway. <laughs> and, um, when Even we, when he's right next to you. Yeah, when, when we did the, um, when we used to do the episodes back at my place with the Zoom and Elliot would just record on his own. Yeah. Like, Vias would still, like, I would have to go back into the recording and be like, why does he sound so far away? He's like right <laughs> next to the microphone. I, like, tried giving him the better microphone. None of it mattered. Am I allowed to eat gum on the podcast? What's that? Am I allowed to eat gum on the podcast? Uh, absolutely it? not. Probably a bad idea. 100%. Yeah, because you're so far away. <laughs> like, you're not chewing gum into the microphone. And now, if you had a proper setup, absolutely not could you eat gum. <laughs> but in this setup, for sure you can eat gum. <laughs> I'm going to go with, yes, you could, but only if it was a Patreon ASMR episode. <laughs> I was going to say, like, honestly... Just because if it was anybody else, I would be like, maybe. <laughs> but as I said, the fact that you constantly sound like you're in a hallway, regardless of what the audio is. Yeah, we, we don't want anything to be blocking the passage of sound waves out of your mouth towards the microphone. Yeah. Because just that, that little piece of gum on the tip of your tongue <laughs> might shoot the waves like off into the corners it of the room. almost certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, uh, I wasn't late to this episode. No, yeah, no, you weren't. Good for no. you, man. Justin, why are you late? it's yeah. always good. It's always a good sign when you have to point out that you met the bare minimum requirements for. Uh, I was late because I'm a guest on this program and I wanted to do my research by seeing the film. Yeah, no, and I fine. had some other things to take care of today that got in the way, and I didn't want to turn it off with like half an hour to go. And get here on time and show up and be like, oh yeah, that movie that we're supposed to watch, I didn't watch the end of it. D despite the fact that you 100% could have not watched the last half oh, hour. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I thought about not watching the last half hour as a, or at least saying I didn't watch the last half hour as a bit. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I, I was trying to watch the second half at work during lunch, but you know, I just ran out of time. I just checked the score of the game. <laughs> I didn't have to watch the last half hour. Um, okay, so... Yeah, we can talk about those three things, and then we can get into the movie, and then I just want to close out with, I already told these two guys, I have like a little 
uh, a quick little game that I think might be uh, a fun way to to close things out. So, um, what, what what kind of uh, you don't want to tell me anything about it? Uh, like he hasn't told us anything about it either. I think it'll be more fun if I just uh, if I just pull it out. Okay. It's uh, it's of the Louis, like, C- Louis like C.K. over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's of the um, uh, sort of like. Are we putting uh, that in the show? <laughs> It's of the blank or blank variety. Okay. Okay. okay if that okay. makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll a get classic, us started in a second. A classic this or that. Yes. Okay. I'll uh, I'll get us started in a second here. My favorite thing is when Jackson makes all these little facial things before he just starts his sequence. He's getting himself psyched just up. Just take a second to get, you know, psyched up, right? He's yeah. got to think about everything he's ever done before he records a podcast. That's right. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. Not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. All right, folks, welcome to the show with more listeners than hosts. It's uh, Roxy Fever. We are uh, joined today by our good friend, Justin Morissette for the first uh, official episode of Locker Room Access. Um, Justin, how's it going? Uh, good. What's Locker Room Access? <laughs> yeah, what's Locker Room Access? <laughs> That's what you called the fucking Patreon feed, Vias. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I was also going to push back on the idea that we have more listeners than hosts. Because, uh, you know, it is a Patreon feed. I don't know how good you guys are doing on the Patreon front right now. But, uh, you know, we, this is, we're, this is how we have slightly it. more listeners than hosts. Okay. So yeah. Okay. We're okay. allowed to. Well, uh, and, but then how many of those donators are also like bonus content listeners? You have no way of knowing. Well, we've given them basically nothing. So <laughs> <this> yeah. Is, <laughs> that's true. That's how, uh, that's how much I believe in the content, Justin. Okay. Know? Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm obviously bringing some star wattage yeah, over you're here. That's well. right. Yeah, yeah. If I may say, you're you're our bot for an episode. Okay. <laughs> I, appreciate I appreciate that. That's too kind of you, if anything. Yeah, that is way too kind of to take the fuck. <laughs> We've okay. uh, all just watched the uh, 2004 Disney movie Miracle about the uh, 1980 Miracle on Ice uh, at the Lake Placid Olympics. Uh, we'll be talking about that in a second. But uh, first on the docket, there's just a couple of little news stories that came out this week that I did want to talk about just a little bit. Uh, we'll start with the good news, which is that uh, it sounds like Chris Higgins is being brought in in a player development role by the organization. I was just wondering if you guys had any thoughts on that before we move on to the uh, the big story this week, or at least the big story to me. <laughs> yeah, to develop these abs. That, that's why he's here. That's all I got. <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for ass. I mean, it's one of those jobs where it's like, how much does this really matter? You know, 
like it could it could mean anything, right? Like player development. I mean, it's very it seems very important. It's like you know <laughs> that's what that's what developing prospects. That's what this whole thing has been about. That's what we've been pitched from day one. But also like. Who knows, right? These jobs always feel kind of like make-work gigs for former players on some level as well. So, like, I like Chris Higgins. He's been very good with the media. He comes on our station quite a bit. He's like a regular, semi-regular on the roundtable on Friday afternoons with Walker and Rintoul. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's pretty funny. I think he's very (laughs) good-looking. Yeah, that's the most important (laughs) thing. But, like... Gotta keep the fans engaged. I don't know what goes into doing this job, so it's impossible to say whether he'd be good or bad at it, right? You know what? After the way that he left the organization, where he was basically... Uh, it was announced that nobody wanted Chris Higgins, including the Canucks, uh, via an Instagram post. And Not only was he, he was... posted on, like, nhlgms.craigslist.org, he was also waived <laughs> oh, by yeah. an Instagram post. And, uh, and you know, going to Utica and then playing a few games there or whatever and then just, like, going home. Um, I feel like this is an adequate apology for that. <laughs> And so I'm just glad to to see that he's, you know, I guess no hard feelings between him and the organization, which is nice. I just wish the hiring was announced via Instagram as well. (laughs) (laughs) But only only on an Instagram story or something. Um, Wait, so player development. So I just was going through the... the... Yeah, Ryan Johnson is the director of player development, and that's part of his job as the GM of the Utica Comets as well. Okay. So they have no list of other player development coaches. So yeah, this could totally be what you said. But like, ultimately though, like as much as I just said, I have no idea what goes into this job. So who cares? Like at the same time, you have to be appreciative of seeing the Canucks hire literally anyone to do literally anything. Very true. Like this has been the constant, uh, you know, trend with this team is that, Bodies go out of the front office. Bodies do not come back in. They have lost a good, you know, four or five executives out of that group in the last three years or so and hired absolutely no one to replace any of them. Like, I don't know. I I see reports sometimes from, you know, national media guys, whether it's John Shannon or, you know, anyone from the TSN side as well. I, I don't pay attention to their stuff, so I don't know who it would be. Craig Button, let's say. Uh, who are, who always say something like, you know, quote unquote, the Canucks brain trust, as as if it's this like diverse group of people, as if there's like (laughs) 10 people who are getting together to sit on a board somewhere. I would say the brain trust from Scrubs. It's two people. (laughs) It's two people. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, it's Jim and John and, and they... They need more people in there. I don't think, you know, Chris Higgins is going to be giving them feedback on free agent acquisitions or whatever, but anybody coming into the organization to offer literally anything to these guys, it's not just that they need help. On some level, like, fans need to get that reassurance that the Aquilinis are not cheaping out on this team, right? Like, they're already refusing to put in the time and effort to build a team the right way. But they're also like cheaping out on what they're doing in terms of, you know, not supporting their staff in any way either. Oh, I don't know, Justin, does cheaping out sound like something an Aquilini would do? I don't know. 
You tell me. Well, I, let me just say, I live in a building that they own, and I'll be moving out in about a month because I can't stand <laughs> living there anymore. So, did the Canucks? Was there ever any update on them looking for a president or like figuring out what that move was going to well, be? Well, the, the last word on that was Gillis, and that was said to be, uh, you know, nothing. That's what, uh, Gillis denied it. Aquilini denied it, but the phrasing was in such a way that it. Could have still happened. Mm. We got to hit up our boy Spencer. There was the Dean Lombardi thing too. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Please, please never call me or my son again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So the second piece of news is um, not as fun. I guess we can we can add this one in the file of uh, like shady Aquilini family business dealings. But I guess I want to get the details right here. But a trailer on the on a property owned by Luigi Aquilini, who is basically, I would say, almost like the real owner of the Vancouver Canucks. He's the the real source of the the vast amount of of wealth that they've been, that the Aquilini family's been able to accumulate, as opposed to Francesco, who um, is basically just the sort of dipshit fail son. He is the he's the Immortan Joe who is like pushing the lever to pour all the water out onto the ground where like all the mediocre NHL free agents run in with their buckets <laughs> to, to scoop up as much water as they can and then Luigi turns the the knob again and the water stops pouring out. As long as we're on uh Movie uh, metaphors. I would say Luigi is like the Vito Corleone of the Aquilini crime family. And, uh, you know, Francesco's like the Fredo. <laughs> that might be slightly unfair to him. But anyways, a, a trailer on one of Luigi's U.S. Uh, properties burned down with two children inside. And uh, both those children ended up dying because... There were no, allegedly, no smoke detectors installed in the trailer. And there had also been some, like, shady electrical work done in the weeks leading up to the fire as well. Like, I know we're here to make jokes and it's supposed to be a fun show, but this is, like, a really horrific story. And if you haven't read about it, I would recommend don't. Like, you don't need... (laughs) You, yeah. do, you do not need to read the descriptions of what happened to yeah. these children. Yeah. It's really, really it's awful. truly awful. It's the reason why I bring it up. Not, I mean, one reason to, to bring it up is just because it's the kind of thing that we like to talk about. But the, the other reason I bring it up is just kind of it got me thinking about something that's been a theme that's come up on the show before, which is the way that there are so many people in the city of Vancouver, so many fans that want to basically accuse, I'll say the media, but it's not even necessarily fair to call it the media. It's also just random like people on Twitter or whatever of being kind of out to get the Canucks and the people who run the team, whether it's the ownership or the general manager or whatever else. Um, and kind of trying to bring them down. And I would present this and the story that came out earlier this year that I'm sure everybody listening to this is aware of uh, 
about the abuse of migrant workers on the Aquilini family farm. I would present both of these as evidence that that idea could not be further from reality. If there was a giant conspiracy happening right now to try to bring down the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you would think that focusing on the shady business dealings of the family that owns them would be a good starting place. And of course, that hasn't happened at all. Uh, This was on Twitter briefly for like a day. It was on CBC. It was not picked up by anybody uh, in the local media at all. Nobody talked about it. So yeah, it's completely completely ridiculous that anybody thinks that. And the reason why I bring that up (laughs) is because, uh, Justin, you and I have been embroiled in a bit of a shall is it can we call it a feud is that the is that the right word for it uh, between you, you and i are beefing with each other or with someone no else? you I mean, you and i have been like 50 bucks in a few months probably well yeah that's not a beef that's, that's just a, a professional disagreement it's it's exactly. it's, it's, it has a tone of a beef but yeah. I'm like, I like no, there, there's well, there's been some uh heated words exchanged on <laughs> sure that it's with love though yeah it's with love i mean i would say only one of us is talking shit um <laughs> The other one is letting our money do the talking for us, but okay. uh... well, I don't know about that. Um, we'll just move on from that. I was, I was talking about uh, the two of us being embroiled in a little bit of a, we'll call it a professional disagreement, then with some other podcasting folks. Yes. Okay. Sure. I would say that's a fair description. Do you care to maybe give people a little bit of a backstory of uh, what's been going on between yourself and uh, the hosts of the Larsh cast? I mean, like, I also feel like calling it a feud is blowing it out of proportion because it implies that I, like, spend any amount of my day thinking about these people, which I genuinely do not. Like, people will send me screen caps of things that are being said about me at this point. And I'll yeah. just have a chuckle or whatever, um, and go back uh, about my business. But I'm like, I, you know, I, I feel like addressing it at all makes it seem like I'm just pouring over Twitter, like reading other people's feeds who I'm blocked by now, but not before I blocked <laughs> them first. So I don't know what you're really trying to prove by blocking me. I already blocked you. Um, but, <laughs> um, but again, no pettiness. I'm not. It's just, you know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to deal with these people because these these are what Jason Botchford would correctly refer to as the anti-negs. It's exactly yes. the sort of people that you were referring to on Roxy Fever a couple weeks ago when you guys talked about Ryan Beach getting hired by the Canucks and Beach's legacy getting twisted by people mm-hmm. who don't know him. Mm-hmm. It's these exact people who are trying to walk into the Canucks podcasting sphere right now and tell you that everything is great, and there's no need to be concerned about anything. You know, a team that doesn't have the cap space to sign Brock Besser right now, but has been one of the worst in the league consistently for the last four years in a row. Like, that sort of planning is totally fine, and there's no need to ring an alarm bell about anything, because, you know, we're not in the middle of a storm, the skies are beautiful and blue, and everything is perfect, and, you know... Your directionless negativity is leading this team nowhere. As if, it, if you make the case that Jim Benning should not be the general manager of this team anymore, you also are supposed to be the one making a case for who should be. 
It's not my fucking responsibility <laughs> to hire the next general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. I am not in charge of the GM job search if they decide to let go of Benning. And, like, this group, this these Larsh casters have convinced a set of people who want to be positive, who want to shit on people who are critical of the team, which in itself is more negative than any criticism of the team. Like, the anti-negs are the most negative people on Canucks Twitter. I do not want to engage with these people at all. The only reason that I have weighed in to anything related to this is because they are essentially a coordinated hate campaign designed to attack J.D. Burke. And, and And you guys make fun of J.D. all the time, and so do I. And it's funny and fine when we do it. But <laughs> We're like, allowed to say it. Yeah, he's our toilet. We're allowed to shit on him. Like, <laughs> you're not. It's exactly the same as Ryan Beach is our friend. You're not. He's not yours. You do not get to claim him. Like, if we're being mean to JD in a friendly way, you still have to admire the work and dedication that JD has put in to get where he is. So, yeah. yeah. He gave us a hood pass. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, fuck, I'll I'll look it up right now. I got a, I got a tweet sent to me today because I compared, Paul Fenton got fired, GM of the Minnesota Wild, yesterday. Ah, uh, yes. This is now we're getting into the good stuff. <laughs> and I wrote a tweet saying, "Imagine if the Wild just let Fenton be the GM for another five years because they were afraid of ownership appearing to be impulsive or trigger happy." Because that's exactly why Jim Benning is still in control mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Like the Aquilinis do not w- want to appear to be a rash and thoughtless ownership group who, you know, flies off the handle, even though that's exactly how they fired Mike Gillis. They don't... And exactly how they've done everything. Like, the fact that they still have the same general manager doesn't mean they don't make extremely rash decisions as an ownership group. Exactly. Yeah. Trevor Linden would still be here if these were reasonable people. And, um... But regardless, so I made that comparison. And the tweet that went up from someone who has blocked me now is, yes, making comparisons between the Canucks situation and the Wilds is so silly. How can you compare uniquely different billion dollar entities? This is the, that's the most boot licking shit I've ever heard in my life. He might as well be rammed in the ass by the owners of like every NHL team. Like let every NHL like team owner just run train on your asshole with that kind of mindset. Fucking uniquely different billion dollar entities. If you're going to do this, you should at least get the Anarita DJ job, right? They have <laughs> they have different ownership, organizational structure, team and core composition, prospects, acceptance of analytics versus full disregard, etc. Here's where it gets good. It's precisely the same thing every time with hashtag the entitled ones. As soon as any other team does something good or bad, immediate comparisons are drawn to the Canucks and Benning. We need to be better than this as a fan base. These vindictive comparisons serve no greater purpose. First of all, congratulations on heading on over to thesaurus.com. Second of all, I can't fucking believe that I am the one being referred to as the entitled one. Because, look, 
I'm not the one who wandered into the Canucks blogosphere with a new podcast who are these two guys? months ago claiming that I was here to be the savior of Canucks Twitter. That I'm here to save the Vancouver hockey community. No. I put in the fucking work for ten goddamn years to get where I am. You know who else has put in the work? J.D. Burke. You know who else has put in the work? Any other Me. media guy that you want to knock. You don't get here. <laughs> How about Jeff Patterson? You, exactly. Yeah. He, they love to go after Jeff you Patterson. You don't get here by accident. So, like, really, which I, of the I, two I, of I, us I, is entitled? <laughs> yeah, well, nothing, nothing could be more entitled than... Look, then, you know, looking at a, a billion dollar uh, franchise and the people who run it and thinking those people should be immune from criticism. Like if I ran if I ran the Vancouver Canucks and turned it into a wor- workers co-op um, and all I had to deal with in return of that in return for that was that like a million people on Twitter were like, you know, retire bitch to me. I would be like, this is great. I'm living a charm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I can't understand why that's going to be the the thing that you, you know, devote all your time and energy towards. Okay, I have an idea for how we can end this. Like, end the fight. Okay. How easy do you think it would be to get Tom Larshide himself to denounce the Larshcast? (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently he's agreed to go on there. And the whole thing's fucking weird to me because, like, you're you're allowing someone to, like, co-opt your image, right? On some level. With their supporters group and this, like the supporters group is one thing. A podcast is something different altogether. The whole thing's very strange to me. Are they connected? Is the large cast connected to the large shite? Large, yeah. Oh, they are okay. The Larshiders. But who runs the large? Like I thought, like uh, Daily Hive was part of that or something. I have no idea. Like I have no fucking idea. Yeah, I remember like Rod Williams like pushed it a lot. Yeah, I didn't see him. I thought it was Rod Williams' thing. I don't know. Like I, I know I just went off on like an unhinged rant after I tried to make the case that these people don't bother me. (laughs) But and I know that the rant that I went off on was basically like I've paid my dues, respect me. But, like, yeah. I try to be the voice of the common man within this media landscape. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not always tapped in with what everyone wants to hear. Don't even start, Jackson. I can see you grinning right now. But I try to represent a viewpoint that if I don't say things, don't get said. So, yeah. to paint me as this, like, detached weirdo whose, like, success has made me an egomaniac, like... I am at the bottom of the ladder where I, in my industry right now, essentially, and I'm doing my best. But, you know, if you don't understand how hard it was to get here, honestly, go fuck yourself. Well, that's like, I know so many people I've interacted with through doing Canucks Army for the past three-ish years that, like, think we all draw, like, full-time salaries, from Canucks Army, which is the most like on its face, absurd, insane fucking thing for people to think, but they do, and I think it it I think it just shows how sort of like disconnected they are from the the reality of like what the media landscape. Oh yeah, is. and I think that's on us as well. I think I think I need to be more open about like my bartending work and how I spent most of the last. You know, most of 2018 anyways, working two jobs, 
working seven days a week, basically, almost every week for the entire year, working multiple jobs in the same day. Like, J.D. Burke was painting houses until very recently. And, like, he's open about that now that he's not doing it, but he probably should have been more open about it while he was doing it as well. Like, this is, (laughs) this is a grind. Like, people need to understand how difficult it is to, to find the time to do this and to try to devote what little free time you have to doing this. Like, it's, it's, you don't get into this for the glamour. I mean, you do in the end, ultimately, but (laughs) there's not a lot of glamour on the way there. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. Um, let's get into the, the real reason we convened today. We all. Well, what? You don't, you don't want me to rant about the Larsh cast for even longer? Oh, I mean, I absolutely do, but you know, I have other things I have to do tonight. Unfortunately, Fair. I would just Fair. let you go off for two hours. Like, it's just, I could go, it's just I could like, go off on these guys too, and it's behind a paywall, so it doesn't fucking matter. But you don't get to burst in the door firing guns at everybody in the saloon and then claim that you're the victim of people being aggressive towards you, like. You picked all of these fights. You did not have to roll onto the scene like this, firing shots at people that you deem to be "quote unquote" negative. So, yeah, and you, and you, I didn't start this fight. I'm just trying to end it. That's all I'll say. And you're doing it to people who like. It's one thing to come in and and shoot shots at a bunch of people who make millions of dollars a year running or playing for a hockey team, which is what they accuse us of doing. But they're 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 going after people who like don't even draw a full time salary for what they do, and are are crediting them with like an undue amount of of power to affect like the team's success or whatever. Like I, I'm sorry. Now I'm gonna go off, but like do it, do the, it. The the Vancouver Canucks have been bad for five of the past six years, and the attendance has been excellent compared to what happens in other cities when teams lose for this long. Or even compared to the Canucks in the past when they've been this bad. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, the idea that if I am trying to, if you and I or whatever are trying to, you know, bring down the Vancouver Canucks and make them fail with our tweets, like, we're doing a fucking awful, unbelievably shitty job of it, and, like, you're attention and energy would be better invested in literally anything else because obviously we're not that important. Yeah. And if you want to go after someone in media that you think is like disconnected with reality or doesn't understand the hardships of the common man anymore, maybe go after the guy who has like an annual yacht party and not the guy (laughs) who, who bartends every day of the week for 52 weeks of the year, you know, like, I think I'm a little more tapped in on what common people are thinking than some of the people who skate free, is all I'll say. Okay. So. With that out of the way. With that out of the way, we convened here today because we all just watched the 2004 Disney film Miracle, starring Kurt Russell and Patricia Clarkson. Um, I think the people that are here today are run the gamut pretty... uh, pretty nicely from one spectrum to the other in terms of how they feel about this movie. So I'm just going to go around and ask the three of you to start, like, how was your viewing experience? My favorite character was Lake Placid. <laughs> there wasn't enough pictures of the lake. Um, <laughs> I really wanted to not like the movie, um, but it was surprisingly good. 
And, like, Kurt Russell was very, very good in this, I thought. I mean, it was just, like, a schmaltzy little Disney film. It was fine. It wasn't terrible, like I was expecting. Yeah, uh, I remember loving it when I first saw it. I, I watched it last night, and it, I forgot that it was a Disney movie. So so there was a lot of scenes where I was like, oh, I, for, I forgot how cheesy it was. I started to appreciate it later. Uh, but but yeah, it's a lot cheesier than I remembered. He's he's like coming out pretty soft for some. Yeah, he was pretty hard on it in the in the DMs, <laughs> in, in the notes. It's, I really wanted to hate it. I really uh, did. Uh, um, I saw this movie in theaters, if not opening weekend, then certainly opening week, and I remember like absolutely loving it at the oh, time. Yeah. Uh, because you know, um, as far as hockey movies, you've got like the Mighty Ducks. And Slapshot, which when I was in high school, I wasn't all too familiar with Slapshot at the time. Understandably uh, so. Uh, and yeah, I don't. I mean, Goon obviously came much later than this, but like at the at the time, this felt like a landmark for hockey cinema. Um, and you know, I probably saw a hockey movie earlier this year that's probably better than this, honestly. Um, but I'll talk about that a little bit later, I would say. I still really, really enjoyed this movie because, like you said, this is like, this is a Disney inspirational sports movie, which has become its own genre at this point. Like, they are, they, they've really eased off on it at, by now. Disney obviously has a much different business model that involves four Marvel movies a year, two Star Wars <laughs> movies a year, uh, two remakes of animated classics a year. <laughs> but, but for a long time, it was like every year we need to have an inspirational sports movie. Miracle, uh, Remember the Titans, The Rookie, Glory Road. Um, there's probably a, a ton more that I cannot think of off the top of my head right yeah. now. But, but this, like, it was an institution that Disney would take some sports story from real life and do this sort of dramatized version of it. And, um, you know, when in, Invincible is another one like that. Um, oh, yeah, and, right. And I would say, like, of that kind of movie, this is the best one. Like, yeah, I, honestly, I don't you might be right. It, I don't know that it gets better than this as far as Disney inspirational sports films. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I'm going to make fun of it a lot because, you know, that's, like, the point of doing it. But, um, honestly, if I take a step back from it objectively, like, it's very, very hard to say, like, what they could or should have done differently. I think you could argue, like, there's a better movie that could have been made on the subject matter. But Definitely. probably not by Disney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably not one that, like, actually is as successful uh, in like domestic gross as this movie was. I mean, we were joking earlier because I was late to the recording session this evening so that I could watch the final 30 minutes of the film. And you guys all jokingly said, well, you could have just not watched it. <laughs> and, and you're right. Like I really could have, it is kind of strange and maybe I should save this for when we get there. But like for a movie that is so clearly built around this, Soviet slugfest quarterfinal or semifinal game. Um, it feels like the journey to get to, to the, that game is something that the movie is much more invested in than the game itself. Well, by the you... time it gets, th it's fine. It's fine to start here. I think by the time it gets to that point, 
it's kind of a foregone conclusion, right? Like everybody knows what yeah. happens. And I think it's mostly just an excuse for the movie to show a lot of really creative shots of hockey being played, which mm-hmm. is one thing that I will give the filmmakers credit for on on is is that like the just all the effort that was put into all the hockey sequences is like very apparent and it's it's filmed really well and they went to the trouble of getting like all their actors were all hockey players at some level so all the uh everything that's being filmed is really happening and it's all shot like very very creatively i think justin you were saying that um there were like this movie like pioneered certain camera techniques yeah they had to create like rigs to put on the ice to be able to shoot the on ice action i do agree though uh this was something that came up when we were talking about it in the chat as we were all watching it elliot you can make the point yourself but like for, uh, they don't really show you a whole heck of a lot yeah of what's so happening. one of my this is insanely nitpicky and it's probably not fair but they talk so much in the first half of the movie about like the soviet system and how her brooks once during his interview he talks about how he wants to create a hybrid of like a Canadian style and Soviet style game. And then all you ever really see of that up until the final game is the winger on the boards passing it to the center just shy of his red line. And it's like, you know, you guys talk so much about the system and like how you want to have your forwards down low and stuff. Mm-hmm. It would be really nice to see a bit more of that. But again, like given what this movie is, you wouldn't bother shooting that. Yeah, and it's a gorgeous system. I think there's one Russian, like Russian hockey documentary about the lot, like the longer history of that team uh, on Netflix. Like, literally, look up videos of these Russian teams playing, and it's some of the most beautiful hockey. It is. It's the most insane shit I've ever seen. It's yeah, like, like, I want to go. I want to watch this game now. Yeah, it's like twenty three Sedins on one team. Like, <laughs> yeah. The way that they know where everybody is, the way they make space. Uh, if we could get a so good guest doing a Red Army episode for the Patreon, would be probably worthwhile because yeah. I love that. If you guys could right slap a Malamud. Oh man, I've uh, I've got I've got the um, for Christmas like ten years ago, maybe longer than that. Still, I got uh, the the Summit series. Mm, I think on, I might on DVD as a DVD box too. set. It's really good. Like I. I went back and I've watched it multiple times over the years. Like, those are fun. It's a fun historic event to revisit as a TV broadcast. And that's one of the things that I will compliment this movie on is, like, why mess with perfection on some level if you have the audio tape of the actual broadcast of the game? Just use the real commentary. There's no need to recast those roles and i can't even remember who it is on the broadcast ken dryden is doing color yeah, yeah. al michaels al michaels with but, but him too both of them yeah yeah, yeah. And, it's, was there. and it's great um and like they they really crank up the like grain and distortion to make it sound more like a historical recording during the moment itself the famous call do you believe in miracles yes like i think it's a really quality yeah, production choice it's yeah. it's handled really really well um i know that you guys are gonna make fun of the movie for being cornball and schmaltzy and all those things oh but 100%. yeah i do think when it lays it on thick as much as you're gonna rip it like it's really effective as well i mean also the, the other side of this too is that we're all canadian and some of us are not terribly invested in national team hockey so it's like 
yeah, who cares? Yeah, yeah Vias there, is so making the, like the, the most disapproving face right now. Uh, <laughs> there's this like, especially for actually using the real call with all the great, with all the like b- purposely bad audio on it. Mm. Like, if that was something that was a big meaningful moment for me, like I could see that like really resonating. For something that's completely just like, oh yeah, there's this thing that happened that I don't really care about in of itself. It's like, oh my god, are you guys really doing this? While we're on the subject of calls, I did just want to say there is one part of the call. Because I've seen this movie like four times now, I think. And there is one thing in the call that I only noticed this time that like elicited a very sort of like a puzzled expression from me when I heard it. It's when they're lining up for the face off and Al Michaels just says, uh, the USA team in white, Soviet Union in red, all business. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I remember that. and I just heard that and I, and I was just like thanks Al like <laughs> I I'm, I'm first of all I'm really glad you told me you like differentiated because I definitely would have thought the Americans would be wearing red and second of all just the like all business like what does that even mean <laughs> there was one thing for uh for the camera stuff I think there was like one maybe one second clip during the last game where they simulate like the broadcast angle that they would have had yeah but, but of the game actually being played there like in real time and that is like so cool that there's was- a there's a really neat transition at one point where they like turn they change to a completely different setting on a camera pan and when it pans onto the ice suddenly you're in the olympic arena mm-hmm. and like it very obviously is a special effect but they've also like given it enough sort of film grain that it does look like what you'd see on yeah. the broadcast yeah. in 1980. It's it's a it's a great shot and like yeah I don't know I I I do hear what you're saying Elliot about like we're not Americans we shouldn't care about this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Just like I feel like a lot of the impact is diluted because of the fact that this is not an important moment. Yeah. yeah because- well, and I mean. Nobody likes a movie where the good guys lose, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so you much... make this movie about 2010, and I will see it in the theaters. Yeah, but so know. much of the movie is built around this, like, yes, patriotic moment, and that this is more than a game. This is a uh, socio-political event, and they do a really good job of setting that up as well. But I think even if you're just a hockey fan, there's a lot to get into here too, because like, I do appreciate how crazy it is that they just took a team of college kids and drilled the shit out of them for eight months and built a super team that knocked off one of the greatest powers that hockey has ever known. Um, And obviously that comes out in, in spots within the movie when, you know, you get the announcement halfway through the film that the Soviets have just destroyed the NHL All-Stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, which is also like announced during the movie. <laughs> that is well said. There's such a great, um, there's like a great scene in, uh, like right at the beginning as they're lining up for the face-off where these like, this group of like Long Island guidos <laughs> just like unfurl a banner that says, hey Soviets, get the puck out of Afghanistan. <laughs> and it's wow. just like... For that to come out in 04, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, there's a lot of weird. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff like that in in it. Like, it doesn't really want, and I don't know whether to to like dock it points for this or give it credit. 
Uh, but it really, as much as it sets up the importance of the fact that it was a, you know, this greater sort of socio-political thing, um, it doesn't really want to engage with that very much. And in fact, like, there's even a scene where Herb sort of dismisses that. I think he actually dismisses mm-hmm. it a couple times. Yeah. Just being like, look, I just want the, like, I just want to play a hockey game. Like, I don't want to think yeah. about all that stuff. His yeah. wife asks him about it. Multiple reporters in, in press conferences ask him about it. And he is always trying to not acknowledge and just play his game. But because, like, I think ultimately that's what you have to do. Like, his entire coaching philosophy, he never makes the boys available to the media. It's always block the outside world out as much as possible and just focus on the game. But I think the closing monologue refutes that quite a bit because he does come around to the fact that his wife was right about everything. That it was a significantly bigger moment than just the game itself. And I would say that the film also refutes that because one of my favorite pieces that it did in terms of incorporating history into the presentation of the movie is um, they do a big team Christmas party where the team gives presents to every single member of the group, including the coaches the assistant coach gets a little plastic whistle and Herb gets a whip because he's a slave driver. And they ask him to give a speech. And that's not the kind of man he is. And he kind of passes on that responsibility and says goodbye to everyone and leaves the party. And it's this kind of, you know, awkward moment where you can feel the disappointment of these 22 guys who look to this man as a father figure and got nothing back from him, really. But as he drives home to be with his family on Christmas Eve, he turns the radio on and it's like one of those year in review radio programs that plays a, um, a Gerald Ford speech. It's Jimmy Carter. It, it's Jimmy Carter. Okay. It's the it's the it's what's infamously been dubbed the Malays speech, where he talks about how for the first time in American history, the majority of Americans believe the next five years will be worse than the previous five. That, Can't imagine that, what that feels like. Yeah, that, know, right? That as a country, we need to rally around hope and find something to believe in and believe in the future of our great nation. And as he's giving this speech... Reaganomics, baby! As he's giving this speech, all we're seeing is uh, imagery of the team playing football together in the snow on Christmas Eve and just having a wonderful time as they clearly embody the youthful outlook that is exactly... Uh, what Carter is talking about. Yeah, Jimmy Carter's warning them that they're about to become fail sons. <laughs> but, but, like, nation. I did find that sequence, like, to be powerful. I like that. I think I would usually really... When that scene started, I thought it was just gonna... I was like, oh, I'm gonna make fun of this one. Uh, but something about it being the Carter speech. Uh, well, it's utilized right. very interestingly, because... The that speech is looked upon very negatively and harshly mm-hmm. by a lot of people mm-hmm. and and looked at as like the one of the reasons Carter lost so badly in in 1980. But it's sort of the way it's presented. Um, it's kind of taken at face value, like, yeah, things are not good. People need something to believe in, which I think is actually like for a, a movie that could have so easily just leaned into like hard nationalism, um, kind of a deft move and like a nice touch. Um, because yeah, it does a good job. It's of sort of stakes. like, 
What's that? Sorry. Well, it does a good job of raising the stakes. Yeah, for sure. And kind of doing it in a, in a reasonably like a political way, like things are going badly. We need something to believe in and make us think that America is still great or whatever. And it's like, that's much more, that's an easier pill to swallow for me than like, we need to prove that capitalism is the greatest system on earth or whatever, which is like, they could have leaned very hard into that if they had wanted to. Yeah. I also uh, am fascinated by the depiction of like the U.S. National Development Program, which is still a thing mm-hmm. to this day. Like, you know, we just saw it on full display in Vancouver at the draft a couple months ago. How many guys were drafted out of that U.S. National Development Team program where, you know, you think about American players, college players playing, you know, for universities. But I, I guess like. Are there, is this a, still a thing that happens where, like, there's a handful of guys who just, I guess, like, are with the national program all year long? Um, I don't think it works that way anymore with, like, adult players, like, with, with players of um, past draft eligibility. But that is, like, up until... Um, like, with it, you before the 18, draft. Like, that is how... That is works. what the US NDTV is. Oh, yeah. so is what would happen, like, you'd play for them and then you'd go off to and college after that? Like, yeah. 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 Like, the, the, the NTDP, like, picks the best American players to literally just only play for the national team all yeah. year, and, which is pretty wild. And just train with train with the national program constantly because yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the unspoken part of this is, like, you know, they try to bring in a college player midway through the season and the players revolt against him because he's not. Yeah, he, that was funny. He hasn't been through the shit that they've been through, which is mm-hmm. fair. Like, mm-hmm. he, yeah. he, he'd get the he fuck out of here. He wasn't skating suicides with <laughs> us in Oslo at 2 a.m. Um, but, like, you know, what you know, what it doesn't really acknowledge is exactly that, that these guys are just devoting eight full months of their lives or longer, maybe 10, like close to a year, basically of, oh, yeah. of just like living this team constantly nonstop. It's cool. Honestly, I think it's cool. Like I mean, you got to think that's, no, it is. I mean, that is exactly what the Russians were doing. Like with that red army team for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Elliot, because something that I think is interesting about the miracle on ice story is the way that it has been, completely misinterpreted by pretty much everyone who's analyzed it since. And that might be kind of a bold thing for a guy in a basement to say, but I think I have like a pretty good case for, for why that is. Go Um, on. So the, if you look at the way that U S national teams are formed together now, whether it's by like, I think infamously most recently it was, Dean Lombardi and John Tortorella who just took like maybe a a once in a generation chance for the United States to build a super team and then just left all these really good players off of it Uh, instead putting like guys like Brandon Dubinsky and Jack Johnson on the team when they had like no real business being there over somebody like Phil Kessel for example Mm -hmm. And, and you can draw a straight line from that to something like, uh, you know, Herb Brooks's um, very famous quote where he's like, I'm not looking for the best players, I'm looking for the right ones. Right? Yeah. 
Um, and I, I also think like just in the greater, and I, I might be projecting a little bit, but uh, there's certainly a, a lot of historical evidence for it. Like I, I think in a lot of ways, because I don't think the United States has won a gold medal in hockey since 1980. Yeah. Definitely at the Olympics. Um, Do- yeah. Yeah. No. Not at the Olympics, I don't think. Uh, I think that in a, a lot of ways, they're still kind of chasing this team. And they think that the the only way they can win is to sort of build like a gritty underdog kind of team. But the interesting thing about that is that like the the Americans didn't grit their way to a win. Like they certain the, obviously like this team got there by working extremely hard. But if you look at just as the evidence of the movie, which is a pretty faithful adapt adaptation of what happened. If you look at what he, what Herb emphasized, like he was watching videotape all the time, which was a relatively new thing. He employed a super like specific, harshly enforced system, which was still a relatively new thing in 1980. Hockey coaches didn't coach a system until uh, Fred Shiro in like 72. Um, Coaches were like strictly motivational. That's like basically all they did. Um, they emphasized, uh, like creativity and working as a unit, which I think is really interesting because it sort of refutes the whole, like American versus Soviet, like the Americans basically beat the Soviets by trying to emulate them as much as they possibly could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because they realized that they weren't going to, weren't going to be able to beat them unless their system was as harshly enforced as the Soviet Mm -hmm. system was. And then perhaps most Interestingly, they emphasized youth really like a lot. Like what I think there was like one player on this team who was over like 23. Well, I mean, that's also and a material reality of the U.S. Of the having, having to put together an amateur having team. Having to put together an amateur team. That is team true. When you're the Americans, the only way you can have an amateur player is a university player. When Whereas the Russians get to do the whole like, oh, you're a part of the army when you're really just a full-time yeah. hockey player. That is true, but at the same time, the team was notably young. That's true. I was looking up the actual roster, and, like, there's a lot of 19 and 20-year-olds when you could be going 21, 22, 23. Yeah, and they even emphasize it in the movie how young the team is compared to all the other teams, like the the announcers and stuff. And the interesting thing about that is that, like, based on what we know now about aging curves, like... If you're trying to, in 1980, to field a team that can skate with the Soviets through three periods, going with guys who are really young and won't get tired is a very, very smart decision. Yeah. But I feel like these USA hockey guys would never do that now. Like, they would be leaning hard on veteran presence, right? Yeah. I mean, like... It's such a long process of putting the team together and, and getting to where they go that, like, you, I, as I was watching the movie, and I'm like you, I've probably seen this movie, like, three or four times now at this point. I own it on DVD, but I couldn't. My DVDs are packed away somewhere. I have no idea where. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, like, watching it this time, I had, like, a very close eye on what it chooses to spotlight and what it kind of leaves out of of yes. this story. And um the way they focus on conditioning 
and, mm-hmm. you know, running the same drills over and over yes. again and yeah. bag skating these guys. Like, I remember when I first watched the movie, that big bag skate scene seems again. like, again. seems like punishment, right? Like, it seems like, well, you guys fucked around, so now, you know, the time to go to work is now because you're not gonna go to work in the games. We'll stay here until you learn to work. That's not, like, that's not a punishment, though. That is, that has a clear design towards, like, building the kind of endurance that you will need to skate with the Soviets. And I did think, like, you know, the Ken Dryden on commentary in the third period of the, of the Russian game says something like, I've never seen a team outskate the Soviets at this stage in a game yeah. before. This doesn't happen. And the fact that the movie has, like, showed all of the work that was put in to build a team that could do that, mm. I thought was uh, you know, pretty good, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Vyas had a funny joke about that in the DM where he was like, what if I did that to uh, Elliot and himself for, uh, like during the podcast where I just make them do the same bit over and over <laughs> again until they have it? Ah, if only we'd come up again. with a bit that we could do that for. <laughs> Vias Vias is like the Danny Green New Deal and I'm like again (laughs) (laughs) we're accusing all VC fairies again yeah yeah um one thing that I one thing that legitimately like I actually let out a, a deep hearty chuckle because I forgot about it is when um, they're like announcing the roster or whatever, or they're going through people's names, yeah. and um, and later like the two players even fight each other, and their names are Jack O'Callahan <laughs> and Rob McClanahan, <laughs> which is two real guys and not just like Irish name generators. <laughs> which... And they both have uh, like the most thick, laid on, ridiculous Boston accents too. Yeah, I, I... thought one of them was Adam Goddard. The, um, <laughs> the guy who plays Jack O'Callaghan looks like Adam Gaudet. Like he looks exactly yeah. like Adam. Yeah, Gaudet. and the the I I thought it would be funny while they were announcing the roster. Like I I was I was just I couldn't get the image out of my head of them being like O'Callaghan, and then they're they're all I'll just kind of like look at him and are like, "Can you be more specific?" <laughs> like, Jack O'Callaghan is like. Okay, that narrows it down from eight to two, but do you want the one from Northeastern University or Boston University? <laughs> yeah. I mean... Jim, Jim Craig with the least Irish name as far as I know. Wait, is Craig an Irish name? Uh, uh, that's a Scottish yeah, name. He's the one who had the uh, the Cloverleaf on his uh, mask. That's oh, true. yeah. That's right. Yeah, he, he's played by uh, I can't the remember. guy from Friends. Yeah, he's played. He played Tag, I think, yep. on Friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, love interest of Rachel at one point. Uh, Eddie Cahill him? is the That's name right. of the actor. He was also on CSI New York for a good long while. Hell yeah! That that, that, that was a nice series. Pull. I actually thought he was a very good. He was very good in this movie. He's one of the I only think, like. <laughs> he's like m- most of the, the people actor, on the team right? are not like great actors. He's very good in it though. He is the oldest 22-year-old in the history of cinema yeah, in no this kidding. movie. He clearly looks like he's in his mid-30s. If you guys Just want a f- good little uh, piece of uh, Jim Craig trivia, I was I did some reading up on a lot of these players, and Jim Craig, I think, is the only hockey player in history 
to be charged with vehicular manslaughter in a what? case where alcohol was not involved. Whoa, we can't put him on the all DUI team? We can't, unfortunately. Who's going to backstop this team to victory? <laughs> but apparently he... Oh, Nikolai has options. Uh, the, oh. <laughs> the, yeah, I was reading about it and he, was, he ended up being acquitted, which I can only assume it was just like literally because they're like well you didn't even get to d- get drunk to do this so we'll let you off <laughs> but yeah I, it, it makes a ton of sense why they would put a ton of focus on him within the movie as well because like the number one image of that soviet game like you know I, as much as so much of the movie in the lead up to that game is predicated on the idea that we're going to play this fast skating style. The fastest way to make this team is to be fast and seems to be like pushing all of these kind of... It, it's funny because I kept thinking during his meeting when he interviews for the coaching position and then early on when he gets it and is kind of pushing up against the larger apparatus of USA Hockey. Um, it's, you know, we were talking about the irony of this movie coming out in 2004 with, uh, you know, the Afghanistan reference, the irony of this movie coming out in 2004 when the NHL goes through an entire year lockout yeah. and comes out on the other yeah. side playing a radically different style mm-hmm. that basically pushed a lot of old guys to the side and said, get out of our league for the betterment of our game, no, essentially. True. Like, it, it, it's hilarious because Herb Brooks himself is a dinosaur. If he was still around in this era, his ideas would largely be bad. Uh, he'd be he'd be like the American Don Cherry, essentially. Yeah. But at the time, the way he's presented in this movie, he does seem like a cutting edge analytics fighter against the old guard of USA <laughs> hockey. Well, it's funny that you you mentioned like those scenes at the beginning when when he's arguing with the USA hockey guys, because it, it was, it was like the one sort of part of the movie where I felt very like, maybe it's just cause it's early too. And I wasn't sucked in yet, but I did feel like very heavily, like that sense of ironic detachment because basically every interaction he has with the USA hockey guys is like, you can't try to win with this team. What's wrong with you? And he is like, you're a pussy. I'm going to try to win. <laughs> and, they're just yeah. like, and, then, yeah. and then he like goes home to his wife and he's like, oh, I don't think I'm their guy. I want to win too badly. It is really weird that one of the guys, yes, who he, he looks like somebody. I kept thinking he was like the lead singer of some band from the seventies. It's just because he had a retro haircut, I guess, but he's sitting on this committee and it's like, Oh, you, you really think you can do it, Herb? I, I mean, I don't know. Beating the Soviets seems pretty crazy. Yeah. Like, like they're getting together to have a meeting where, you know, I think ultimately we're going to uh, come together and try really hard here and uh, come out probably with a, with a fifth place finish and be very happy with that. Like, yeah. I don't, what are we, what's, yeah, it's hilarious that his cutting edge idea is, I think we should try to win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the, but the main point that I was getting to with Craig is that, you know, for as much as they spend the movie talking about playing this sp- speed and skill game, in the Soviet games, they are just getting hemmed in the entire time. Yeah. They are essentially playing, like, 
very efforting defensive hockey, just trying to get the puck out of their own zone. And the number one image you're left with is Craig standing on his head, making these insane saves throughout the entire game. He also has the most tragic backstory. His mom just passed away from cancer. There's all kinds oh, of I thought, reasons why. I thought why. she was in the car with him. <laughs> There's Sorry. all kinds of reasons Jesus. why it makes sense for him to be I don't know the how main much... character of all the players. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how much of any of like that stuff was accurate, but like... I know 80s goaltending was wild. I don't know if it was that wild. Oh, it was, man. I think it was wild. I'm going to go on the other side of that one. Like, it, it was fun to watch. Just like him just like flying around and somehow keeping the puck. It up. really did feel like there was no sense of defensive coverage at all. It's yeah. like every time the Soviets get the puck, Jim Craig is going to have to make an absolutely ridiculous save. On the subject um, of being, like, her being a sort of, like, um, ahead of his time in terms of the tactics he was using too. He also like makes them do a sports psychology uh, test at the beginning, which I thought was like interesting. Also thought, thought it would be funny if it was just the love language test that we had. The same. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. About that. J- j- there's just like a, a scene where Jack O'Callaghan is looking at the paper and it's just like, you know, is it more meaningful to you when your partner a holds your hand in public? <laughs> Do I prefer to get help on a project or receive a gift? Yeah. AOC, what'd you put for that? <laughs> Um, yeah, no. Jim Craig asked somebody else for help with doing the whole test because he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> I also just, I also did th- think that it was very funny that the two, like, most Irish dipshit guys were the, were, like, in reality, too, not trumped up and made, made up by the movie, like, were the ones who had the big rivalry and, like, fought each other at the beginning of the game. And it all, well, it all stems from... A private Cold War between Minnesota and Boston. Well, I, I mean, like, I just assumed the two players, like, that that whole thing started over, like, an argument over who could do the most hate crimes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I forgot what I was going to say. Fuck, <laughs> that's okay. It's just too, it's too hot in this room. My God. I, yeah, I, it's very hot in there. That's true. Yeah, I also found it really hard to keep the players, tell the players apart. I mean, there's only, like, four players that you need to know in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But... It takes a while for them to really get introduced, I find. This yeah. is what I was going to say. Thank you for bringing that up, Elliot. Uh, is that uh, as it focuses on those guys for a reason. They are, they are the two guys who have to overcome adversity to contribute to winning games within the elimination tournament as well, right? Like, the, there, there, are, there are 20 guys on this team... But ten of them are, like, completely invisible to us as an audience. Like, and I'm sure you could have found individual details from their personal lives or their, you know, the way the game's unfolded, that they could have been the inspirational figures on this team as well. But for whatever reason, you know, these are these are the guys that they went with to tell the story of this team. And yeah, you're exactly right. Like, half the team are just extras like they're not yeah. they don't even have lines they yeah, they have I they kinda, don't figure into the story at like, all I kind of what forgot my... when that guy was getting cut I'm yeah it's like mm, ralph this cox is this yeah when, yeah cox gets cut it's yeah. just like like my one problem with this was like should i feel weird that he's getting cut should i feel bad because there's no emotional weight put on this character <laughs> at all but at the same time you have 20 other players and i know who exactly three of them are now yeah 
I think part of that is is just like time constraints. Like, I mean, obviously, this movie it's a, was already, already over two hours long, which exactly. is probably longer than it needed to be. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's the the idea of someone getting cut plays a larger character within the story than n- numerous people who made the team. <laughs> so, like, yeah. the amount of time that gets spent on. The amount of time that gets spent on Ralph Cox, I think, is necessary because you would you are supposed to feel more for the guy who didn't make it than yeah. some of the ones who do. I, ultimately. I actually have a slightly different interpretation of that scene. It's established early in the movie uh, it, through a couple of a couple of scenes. There's the part at the beginning where Kurt Russell is looking at his photo from. 1960 when he was on the u.s olympic squad and then it's established later in a conversation between a couple of the players that he was the last player cut from his olympic squad when his team won the gold medal in 1960 yeah Yeah. and so i think really the purpose of that scene is to show how hard it is for herb to have to do that and it's one of the better scenes that he gets to act in as a performer for Kurt Russell. Well, like, the scenes where he's interacting with the players leading up to the the big game. Uh he he has the scene with with Cox and then he has the the scene with uh Jim Craig where he's kind of arguing with him about wanting more out of him. And mm-hmm. then there's the scene kind of right before they they start playing where uh, Jack O'Callaghan gets injured and he decides to keep him on the squad even though he can't play until the medal round. And I think like those three scenes are probably the best three scenes in the movie in terms of just like giving it a sense of emotional depth and also ringing yeah. like a pretty good performance out of Kurt Russell. Because so much of the movie he has to be intentionally antagonizing towards the team. Uh, yeah, exactly. To to pull them together because there's clearly like a good cop bad cop dynamic between him and uh uh Craig Patrick who's the assistant coach on the team. So and like you know he walks out after giving a rousing speech where he's tearing into the guys and says to Patrick like you think that'll get him going? And then he just <laughs> walks out and Patrick smiles and is like, "Yeah, uh I guess I'll clean up after that. <laughs> um, which is great. Uh, but like, I, the scene where Cox gets cut is really af- affecting to me because it's the, like, his role as coach to try to shape them into what he wants them to be is over. So he doesn't have to play that antagonizing role with him anymore. And he just gets to be straight up proud of him in this incredibly difficult moment and tell him that you're a hell of a hockey player. You're going to continue to be a hell of a hockey player. This is not a personal failure. Like, you know, you've come this far. Don't worry. Don't you're going to this... have a very successful career in finance after this. But like, he don't let this discourage you. Yeah. Because, because And it's exactly right. Like he, he was on the other side of that scenario. And, and to me, that's like, I think Kurt Russell does an amazing job in this movie. And that is one of his better yeah, scenes for yeah. sure. It's funny too, because I feel like, you were talking about like if you if they'd made a movie of the 2010 a Canadian story yeah. like we'd be all into that. It's surprising that like it took this long for them to make this story because I'm sure there's like a parallel universe where 
this exact movie got made in like 1982 and Michael Arizioni is played by Kurt Russell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very true, actually. Um, I did just want to get to one last thing before I have a little game that I want you guys to to play and we'll get to that in a second. I have a segment Um, I wanted to bring up too. So this, uh, this wouldn't be Roxy Fever, or rather, it wouldn't be me if I didn't have an alternate uh, interpretation of the movie, which is something that I've, I haven't really discussed on the podcast before, but uh, that comes up a lot in our DMs. Um, uh, I especially like to go on and on about how uh, the entire Star Wars series is about how you shouldn't fuck, but I won't get into that today. Because um, it might be your sister. <laughs> I noticed something about this movie that kind of like put a bug in my brain. Um Herb Brooks is incredibly shitty towards his wife. Yeah. In basically every yes. scene of this yes. movie. Leave him. Except except there's one scene where he's he's shown being like very very sweet and loving with her. And it's when he's on the phone. Yep. like hundreds of thousands of miles away in Europe and she is back home in. And so my theory about this is that this whole movie is actually just about how Herb Brooks's dick doesn't work. And so the reason why he's being, and and this whole, like I'm in my basement watching hours and hours of film is just like, no, I can't, I I can't touch you, sweetie. I have to work on the game, you know? And then, The reason why he's so sweet to her in that scene is because she's thousands of miles away and he doesn't have to worry <laughs> about not being able to please her sexually. Um, and I was, and anyway, <laughs> so I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about this and I was, I was thinking about how funny it would be if that had come across in any of his speeches, like just by accident, <laughs> like he's in there giving the final speech to to the players right before he goes out and he's just like i am sick of hearing about what big swinging dicks the soviets have (laughs) (laughs) he finally gets hard after they win it's just the gay porn hard speech from goon yeah (laughs) Yeah. the 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 scene where he's berating the injured player who's like taking his ear off (laughs) i want you to Get out there and, and get hard! <laughs> I want you to get out there and fuck my wife. <laughs> Be a hockey player! Fuck my wife! <laughs> um, okay, oh, I, I, I have a quick say. It's just short. Oh, it's please. just to mention a couple yeah, things. Yeah. There's some Canucks connections in this There's movie. lots of Canucks connections in this movie. And I remember specifically when I first watched it as a kid that Ryan Walter... Uh, well, he wasn't with the Canucks at that time, but... Uh, I knew he was on TV, and then he eventually was an assistant coach with us. Yeah. Ryan Walter is more of a character in this movie than, like, half of the people on Team USA. Yeah, yeah. So he plays a ref in one of the... In the gold medal in, game. In the gold medal. He's the head ref in the final... In, no, in oh, the, the... semi. In the semi game yeah, against yeah, yeah. the Soviets, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so is that? There's, there's more as well. Yeah. Uh, the you play-by-play announcer in the Madison Square Garden game where they get torched by the Soviets and lose 10-3... to is the late great John Ashbridge, who used May to be the, rest in peace. the PA announcer for many, many years for Canucks games, and also was the PA announcer in the EA Sports NHL franchise mm. as well. Uh, and it was rad because it's not just his voice; he is an on-screen on screen character yeah. in the film. That's as well. dope. Yeah, it's really yeah. awesome. 
Uh, most of the movie is shot at Pacific Coliseum as well. There's some scenes shot at EBC. That's right. Yeah. Huh. Um, I one little bit of trivia before we get to the last se- segment here too. Um, Ju- Justin, I know you already knew this and you were talking about it to me ahead of time, but um, the last thing Walt Disney ever did before he died was write Kurt Russell's name on a piece of paper, which yeah. is very pe- like oh. weird. Wait, wait, wait. And... This is an urban legend, though, right? No, this is real. no, it's true. This is true. The, the, the like Walt Disney's final act before he, you know, he was trying to tell them who killed him. Yeah, I, uh, he was trying to like write out his plans for the future or whatever, but uh, he couldn't write out a full sentence. He just wrote Kurt Russell, and then he died before who he became could write another who word. ended up becoming the Walt Disney Studios like biggest star of the seventies. He already was yeah. kind of on that trajectory, yeah. anyways. It like I just I, I did think that was funny. Do you think maybe he was accusing him of being a parenthesis? Um. No, that's why. That's why I said if they made this movie thirty years ago, forty, like he'd play Michael Arizioni because he was already like knee deep in the Disney system at that point, and this marks yeah. like a very odd career transition for him as well to return to working within the Disney studio system, but as like the grizzled old man whipping these kids into shape. So, yeah. well, he's back yeah. in Disney movies now. Yeah, right? so, yeah. It's through comic book movies. I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, Guardians. Oh, one last. Oh yeah, yeah. He was the villain yeah, in Guardians right. of the Galaxy. Is there any other connection? Volume oh, two. Other connection? Unless, unless you had another connection, that connection thing. That's no, it. no. Please go ahead. Uh, uh, what's his name? Frank Patrick. Craig Patrick. Craig Patrick uh, traded Naslin to us. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Going um, against the ideology of Herb Brooks's team, <laughs> trying to get uh, you know some fucking goon and sacrificing skill for it. Herb <laughs> never would have made the trade, but uh, yeah, God bless right. you, Craig. Thank you for gifting us Marcus Naslin. <laughs> um, one la- the one other thing I just want to say too is it's such a fucking gut punch at the end of the movie when they like show all the all the actors from the movie and the players they play and then what they went on to do. And it's like 90% of them are like mm. Bear Stearns, Bain Capital. Whoa. Like they're, they all just went into finance yeah, and real they estate. All work in investment oh, really? Funds. I didn't watch the credits. Yeah, so. neither did I. Like five or six of them worked in the NHL jobs. Like yeah. Mike Ramsey was an assistant coach for The Wild at the time the movie came out, uh, which mm-hmm. I remember yeah. knowing who he was as I was watching the movie because... Obviously, Canucks played the Wild like mm-hmm. six or eight times a year. All the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. It did bum me out when I, I was when I was looking up all the players, and I saw that two spent time at Bear Stearns, but neither of them spent time there when Jeffrey Epstein was there. I was fucking rubbing my hands together when I saw that. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, we're going to uncover a they're, scandal. They're not on the flight logs, Jackson. Could, could you, could you imagine if the Jeffrey Epstein scandal ruined the 1980 miracle? <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I did notice one little production goof as well during the Soviet game. Uh, when it was tied 3-3 before the Cana- the Americans go ahead. When it was tied 3-3. Sorry, it's very comic book. <laughs> oh uh, um, like the goal to make it a 4-3 game is scored with 10 minutes to go, right? So it's not like there's a dramatic OT winner or anything. The Americans score and then have to 
hang on for dear life for the rest of the game. And yeah. the, the Which movie, is actually almost cooler. The, the movie yeah, is yeah, yeah. very clear about that. But at one point, uh, it cuts to, like, a large overhead shot that pans across the arena that's supposed to show, like, fan anxiety. And because, you know, the, I guess because there's still ten minutes of game time, and they basically, like, played the game in front of a live audience and filmed the whole thing as part of making the movie... The overhead scoreboard within Pacific Coliseum says 4-3 before they even scored the goal. <laughs> so That's great. They never caught it, but uh, I, I noticed that. <laughs> okay. I want to get to a little, just to, to close things out, I have a little game planned for you guys, and it's because I noticed something while I was looking, while I was doing research on Herb Brooks. Um, Brooks was known for his gift of the gab, and I was able to find a lot of quotes from him. And I sort of noticed that there's a lot of crossover between the kind of stuff that he said and the kind of uh, sort of like success win, dipshit, mm-hmm. like succeed in business mindset kind of stuff. Well, that's um, why so, so many of his play... players wanted to uh, work for Bear Stearns. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're going to play a little game called Brooks or Trump. Okay. I'm going to read you a okay. quote. I, I thought it was going to be Jordan Peterson, so yeah. I'm almost glad it's, it's Trump. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to read you guys a quote that is either uh, from Herb Brooks or Donald Trump, and I'm going to have you guys guess uh, which is which. Um, I uh, I won't yell at the winner on Twitter for like a week. Well, that that that'll be the price. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get Tedge to win this somehow. okay i try to learn from the past but i plan for the future by focusing exclusively on the present that's that's trump that's her brooks that is donald trump that's a a point for each of the roxy boys but did he is that actually donald trump or is that like something that came from the art of the deal that he did not actually write (sighs) there's a very very good chance that a lot of these were written by a (laughs) ghostwriter yeah i mean if i had to narrow it down i'm guessing donald trump's ghostwriter but that's not important right now okay who came out against trump a few years ago yeah he's probably gonna get paid really good it's a it's a really good article anyways (laughs) you can't be scared you do your thing you hold your ground you stand up tall and whatever happens happens brooks i'm gonna say trump this time i'll say brooks because that is what my gut tells me but okay it's we've got it evened up justin gets a point that was trump oh yeah oh yeah that sounded too stupid even for a hockey coach (laughs) (laughs) you must have goals in your life or otherwise be prepared to be used by those who do have them Trump. Brooks. I'll go Brooks. Uh, uh, Elliot is lagging behind. Hell that yeah. one was Brooks. See, I and I thought that was Trump. I went against my yeah. gut this time. There's something about the way that it was about like principles that just seems too <laughs> smart for Trump. There. Yeah. In the end, you're measured not by how much you undertake, but by what you finally accomplish. Oh, it's hard for me not to say Brooks. I'm going to say Brooks. Yeah, I'll say Brooks. Did you, did you say Vias? Yeah, yeah, I'm Brooks. You went with Brooks? All three of you are wrong. That was Donald J. What? Trump. Fuck. Okay, that's from Art of the Deal, for sure. Though. I don't believe that that could <laughs> be... the ghostwriter. It's the ghostwriter. I don't believe that that's from the speech. You're only as good as your values. Mm-hmm. I'll say Brooks. Trump. Brooks. That was Brooks. Uh, I'm on the board. This is a favorite of mine. 
You know, Willy Wonka said it best. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. Oh, I want it to be Trump. So that's got to be Trump. I really hope that's Trump. That's Herb Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Where did he say that? You have, you have to have fun. It was, I found it, it. It's cited on the Wikipedia article. So I didn't look at the citation, but it, it, it had a weird. citation. Okay, and this is, this is, I'll go with this one as the final one. Let's make a deal. If you promise not to get personal with me, I will promise not to show you as the crude, fat, and obnoxious slob, which everyone knows you are. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump. <laughs> oh, that was clearly her Brooks. Yeah, weirdly enough, that was Brooks. I was really surprised by that, too. Okay. <laughs> her Brooks addressing Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. What's, our, what's our final tally there, Elliot? Uh, Vyas and Justin tied at four, and I got three. Okay, mm. I'm. Oh wait, I got three, three. Counting, counting the uh, four three, just the like the one. score of the game. Okay, we're, hey. we'll do we'll do a couple tiebreakers here between Vyas oh. and uh, and Justin then, because I do have Elliot's a couple more. Out. All right, uh, a runoff system. <laughs> I like thinking big. I always have. To me, it's very simple. If you're going to be thinking anyway, you might as well think big. Most people think small because most people are afraid of success, afraid of making decisions, and afraid of winning. And that gives us a great advantage. Ah, fuck. Brooks. I'm going to go Brooks as well. What? Right. It feels like that was his philosophy in building this team. He wanted to win when everyone else was saying, let's finish fifth. Well, we're going to have to uh, go to another question because you're both wrong. That one was Trump. Yeah. Fuck. I'm really surprised he took that one. The most important thing in life is to love what you're doing because that's the only way you'll ever be really good at it. Trump. I'll go Brooks. Well, I have to be nice to Vias for the next week. Hell yeah, bitch! <laughs> you nailed it, man. Good for you. God damn. It's a good game. That was a good game. Well, and the boys are shaking hands. <laughs> uh, anything else you guys wanted to get to this week? Uh, I just want to say that I still really enjoyed this movie. I thought it, it, you know, it didn't hold up to what I had made it out to be like this hockey classic in my mind, but. Uh, I was, you know, I, I came in, in the in the first ten minutes, I got, like, the oh no feeling. Like, this is gonna be real bad. <laughs> but, like, outside of the actor that got to play Jim Craig's dad, <laughs> who, who was, like, the most pathetic loser they could have possibly put on the screen. Well, the guy was, I don't think it was fitting. Like, the casting call probably said... Uh, your wife's dead and you yeah. lost your job. Yeah, no, the casting call was your probably kid has to go like playing Atlanta after this. We want the we want the uh, commercial actor who plays the like mucus in every <laughs> cold commercial. Get the get the guy who's like suffering and needs to get the mucus out of his apartment. The mucus next man. That's who we need to play uh, the part of Jim Craig's dad. Outside of the, of that, like I I thought it was extremely cornball every single time Craig's dad was on the screen. Very true. But beyond that, I thought the movie was like very very good, and uh, yeah, I think I would recommend it. I I agree. I agree basically too. Yeah, the music was bad. I agree with Vyas on the that. The music was so bad in this movie. Very manipulative score, for sure. It was... Yeah. The music was a, from a... The music was a, from a fucking Christian movie. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it so much. It made... It painted everything else. So... I thought this was kind of the perfect movie, actually, to watch for the show, because it was, like, just goofy and bad enough that we could make fun of it, but mostly, actually, very enjoyable to watch, so... It worked out yeah. well for everyone, I think. Yeah. I, th- I see potential for their, like, uh, you know, Disney's doing remakes. 
And also, there's a bunch of, like, anti-communist movies kind of coming out in TV shows, so, like... <laughs> yeah, if they're going to turn all of their animated movies into live action, I want the... <laughs> they need to turn all their old live action movies into animated movies. <laughs> so give us Animated Miracle in 2021. I want to see the plane hit the moose. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get to see that! A lot of talk about that moose, we never got to see anything really. It's too bad. And for a movie where the good guys lose at the end, there's really very little footage of the U.S. team playing the Finns. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, it's an anti-Finnish movie. But but the Finns hate the hate the Soviets, so like that's true. They're, they're probably not that mad. Um, it's a foregone conclusion, though, like you said about the way like I could have just not watched the final half hour of the yeah, movie yeah. altogether. <laughs> Justin, where can uh, people find you? Uh you can find yeah, me. Producing and speaking occasionally on Sportsnet 650. If you're a fan of professional wrestling, you can find me every Sunday night at 10 p.m. on Sportsnet 650 as the host and producer of Wrestle Central, Vancouver's only pro wrestling radio show. Uh, you can also oh, find yeah. me on Real Good Show. You can also find me on the Top Marks podcast. Maybe more podcast projects coming <laughs> in the weeks and months ahead. Who knows? If you're going to be in Toronto, uh, you can find me at SummerSlam in yeah. a week and a half, Hell yeah. which is going to be work. super fun. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Justin Morris, M-O-R-I-S. Unless you have him blocked. Yeah, yes. or I have you blocked. But, you know what? In uh, in memory of our dearly departed friend Jason Botchford, I was planning to wipe my blocked and muted lists uh, for the... Uh, season opener of this Canucks season. So if I do have you blocked or muted, you might get back on that list in a hurry, depending on how you act. But I am uh, going to give you another chance. Uh, I That's like coming that. soon. That's good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for donating. We're going to try to get uh, at least one of these out per month. Things didn't quite work out for the month of July, just because you know it's the off season and life happens. And I- but- I work like every day of the week. Yeah. So that's that's more my fault than your oh, fault. Oh no. I'm no. Sorry about Don't- that. You know, uh, don't don't worry about that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm the entitled one, so That's I get right. to pick and yeah. choose what day I want to do podcasts on. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. And the USSR did nothing wrong.
the USA. 